Hi, welcome to Biohacking with Brittany, a podcast focused on holistic health, nutrition, biohacking, and more. I'm your host, Brittany Ford, registered holistic nutritionist and self-proclaimed biohacker. During the last 10 years, I focused on healing my gut and hormonal issues through lifestyle changes, nutrition, and of course, biohacks. And now I teach others to do the same. I'm so excited you're joining me today. So let's dive right in. Okay, great. So welcome to today's episode. I am super excited about this guest. We have Kim Vopney on the show with us today, who coincidentally, oh my gosh, cannot talk, lives super close to me. Um, And I actually found her through Instagram because she posted something about biohacking your vagina. And I had to message her because that was the first time I had seen somebody make the sentence, that type of sentence of those words. So I was like, I have to have this woman on my podcast. And she also lives in my hood, which is awesome. So um, yeah, I'm just so excited to have her here. Kim is a coach, a speaker, a personal trainer, and she specializes in prenatal, postnatal and fertility fitness, which is so, so cool. So we're definitely going to dive into that. Um very shortly. So Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, small world. And yeah, it's funny. I I mean, I have never made any post about biohacking and it it led me to you. So maybe I'll use it more often, see what else happens. But it's uh, super nice to connect with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love that. So to get us started, I would love for you to kind of explain how you got into this field, um, your personal life, however much you want to share and your career, just how, like really how it happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it, it really started with a fear and fascination about childbirth at the end of the day. It was, it was that long ago. So I remember seeing in sixth grade, the childbirth video that sort of just did nothing but scare the heck out of me. And I remember going (laughs) home asking my mom, like, did you, was that how you that how I was born and is that what you did? And so I learned a little bit more and, and I remember my mom telling me about how she gave birth, which was she had two vaginal births with my brother and I, and she had an episiotomy, which, you know, my mom told me what that was. And I thought, oh my gosh, they cut your vagina. You know, like, you know, this is language I was using at the time. I know that's, that's not exactly what they're cutting, but um, so I just thought like, nope, this is not for me. I'm not going to have babies. I'm not going to be pregnant because I saw also, my mom having challenges. So she had, uh, she had back pain all the time. She had a non-flattening tummy. She was struggling with incontinence and ended up having surgery for that. And I sort of had this picture of childbirth and, and pregnancy is really kind of wrecking the body. And I wanted to be able to run and I wanted to be able to do all these things that I was currently doing and having an active lifestyle. So that's kind of how the seed was planted. And so grew up kind of thinking I'm not having babies. And then uh, I met my now husband and it wasn't like when I first met him, I thought, oh, I'm going to have a baby with this man. I just wasn't, still wasn't sure. But I watched my sister-in-law, so his brother's wife, give birth. And it was incredibly empowering and different from anything that I'd ever seen on the media. And it it, it actually, I think, was a, a catalyst in terms of me thinking, you know what, I do want to do this and I can do this. So the following year, I was pregnant and I remember asking my midwives, 
and uh, about what I could do to have a different story than my mom. And they had recommended a product to me called the Epino, which is a biofeedback device for pelvic floor training made out of Germany, manufactured in Germany. So I researched this and I bought one, I used it. I had a really positive experience and I felt like more people should know. So my friends were having babies around the same time and many of them did not have the best birth experiences. And I was wondering maybe this product could have helped them. So I contacted the company and asked if I could be a distributor. And my intention was it was not for it to become a business. I thought I would just sell it on the side to friends and through my midwives basically. And then uh, I started to find that as I was telling people about this product, that I was talking a lot about fitness principles and I had been a personal trainer and I had actually left the fitness industry and moved into a, a corporate world. I was a human resource specialist and that's what I was doing. And this was kind of like a little side thing again, not intending it for, for it to be a business, but as I was telling more people about it, it came down to fitness, essentially preparing your body for a physical event and recovery. So I recertified my fitness and focused in the pre postnatal world and started to try to spread the word of this product. Shortly thereafter, I was laid off from my corporate job. So I thought, okay, here I am. I'm going to jump into this entrepreneur world and see if I can turn this into a business. And that's kind of how it started. So I was talking to anybody I possibly could find who would listen to me talking about pelvic health and I was attending events and you know trade shows and all that kind of stuff. I started an online store for the, the product. I was reaching out to other professionals. I found another woman uh, in, in New York who was talking about diastasis recti, which is the abdominal muscle separation, which typically occurs in pregnancy. And I was realizing the link between diastasis and the pelvic floor. So I went down and took her training and my intention was to come back to Canada and, and launch it here. And she had a product as well. It was a wrap. And so that was my intention. And then I, again, I'm still networking, reaching out to people in my local community. I meet two other women who have a, a similar passion of mine. They were also talking about diastasis. One of them was a physiotherapist and, and starting her work in pelvic floor as well. And the three of us ended up forming a second business. We each had our own independent. So we formed a second business called Bellies Inc. And that kind of became the main thing I did for a while. And my pelvic floor stuff blended in there, but my own business was kind of on hold for, not really on hold, but just not my main focus. I recently sold that company and uh, am focusing 100% on my own programs and coaching and uh, I no longer have the e-commerce side of the business so it's really online coaching and programs for women to manage their pelvic health through pregnancy motherhood and menopause so kind of covering the full gamut I definitely started in the the prenatal realm and then really focused on postpartum recovery and trying to optimize that and then as I was aging and it, my clients were, you know, kind of moving out of that early motherhood stage and then becoming more entrenched in the perimenopause world and menopause, and recognizing that that's a time of life when some of these challenges become more apparent or maybe they show up for the first time. So that's kind of how I was expanded or kind of evolved to cover those life stages through through the business. So that's kind of, that was a bit of a long answer, but that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> yeah, that's Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like such a journey that you went on both personally and like with your business, hey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's been, it has been uh, not intended again. It was, I was supposed to just mm -hmm. have this little side gig that I sold this little product on, um, ended up being this 
this major catalyst to what now I, I feel incredibly grateful to have an entrepreneur life and a career really that I'm incredibly passionate about. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, especially in this field, which is just like growing rapidly yeah. um, and really needs like women and people specializing in it, in it and as much support as possible. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely growing. And even in the last few years, social media plays an, a, a really huge role in terms of increasing awareness. And I remember, you know, when I was first starting out, so back in 2009, and Twitter was really the, the main platform, kind of the, the only platform that we had. And I remember learning about hashtags, so I would hashtag pelvic floor and very you know, very rarely was I ever getting a hit on that. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely now becoming more so like lots of people are talking about it. Lots of people are choosing to specialize. So it's, it's been amazing to watch the evolution of that happening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was actually going to ask you this later, but have you like over your career, have you seen um, changes in perspective towards women's health? Like just in general, either with like your clients or, or on social media? Yeah, it, yes, I have. It's It still is slow and it still actually amazes me that, that I still find so many people that say, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this before. What, you know, why didn't my doctor or my midwife tell me about this? Or, you know, so it, even though I feel like everybody is talking about it now and it's becoming almost trendy to talk about pelvic floor, I still feel like there's a long way to go. However, from when I started, so over 11 years ago now, to where we are now, it has been a huge, huge leap forward. So there's definitely more people aware. There's more people who now come to me and say, I, you know, maybe they heard me or somebody else on a podcast or, you know, they reached out on their own to a pelvic floor physio and they've been asking their doctors about it. So that is what really helps fuel this is not just all of us talking about it, but us talking about it to the various healthcare providers who then start to form their own collaborative referral networks. So it doesn't have to be women advocating and asking. It can be the healthcare providers delivering the enough information. It, it's just been such an area that's been overlooked. And, um, and if any information has been shared, it's usually go home and do your kegels. And then typically women go home and don't really know how to do them because they haven't been evaluated properly. And they wait a few more years and then things really get bad. And then the next option presented is usually drugs or surgery pardon me, surgery. So at that point, um, there's been a huge missed opportunity for education and information and resources given to that person to make better choices with regards to their pelvic health. Yeah, absolutely. I just love that what you do is so focused on preventative health, mm -hmm. like prevent, like preventing issues in the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about that. And biohacking is all about that. Totally. Um, like what, what are the little tweaks and habits and things that we can do today so that in 10 years, you know, our pelvic floor is doing great and we're not having these issues. Exactly. Um, so typically like what type of issues are you seeing frequently with like women of all ages in terms of pelvic floor? Like specifically what, like, what is it exactly that comes up often? Uh, so incontinence and prolapse are the two most common for sure. And statistically, they are the most common as well. So um, incontinence is when urine comes out of your body when you don't want it to. So that is most typically talked about or, or referenced as uh, stress urinary incontinence or sneeze pee or peezing. So those would be sneeze pee and peezing are kind of what people say 
jokingly in their world or they say, oh, I can't jump on a trampoline anymore. Usually that's what they're referencing. And that's when little bits of urine leak out throughout the day with ex- some sort of exertion. So laugh, cough, sneeze, mm-hmm. jump, stand up from a chair, downward dog and yoga, running, whatever it is. And there's also urge incontinence, which is when you're fine, you may not be leaking. And then all of a sudden you get an overwhelming urge that you need to empty and feel like you can't make it to the bathroom on time and often can't. And then there's a full release of the bladder. And statistically, stress urinary incontinence between the two of them is the more common one. And you can have a a blend of the two, which is mixed. And, you know, most studies will say one in three women. I think that's higher personally based on what I see. But again, people come to me for a specific reason. So I'm probably a little bit skewed there with regards to stats. Mm -hmm. The other thing to consider though, is a lot of stats are based on reported cases. And there are a lot of women who do not report this. So again, I feel like that would skew the results a little bit as well. The other challenge that women are, uh, that, that I see that is incredibly common is pelvic organ prolapse. So that's where the bladder, uterus, and or rectum start to descend or move out of their optimal position and can bulge into or descend into the vagina. And in extreme cases, they can bulge right out. Um, They don't actually fall out, but they can definitely make a protrusion or a bulge out of the entrance to the vagina. So it can be really incredibly life altering. The people with stress urinary incontinence, you know, society or media tells us that it's just part of being a woman and we just need to put pads in or we we just put you know we put a pad in and now all of a sudden we have our confidence back and we can carry on and while I disagree that it doesn't give you your confidence back it does give you a way to it's like a band-aid approach essentially so it does allow you to kind of carry on but the influence of pelvic organ prolapse is much more challenging with regards to our mental health. And it's something that, that influences the way you move, because if you feel like you have something in your vagina, it can be uncomfortable and you might have the sensation that something is going to fall out. So you might be squeezing more, or you might not squat down anymore because you feel like something's going to fall out. So you end up changing the way that you move and reducing the amount that you move and it can really influence the rest of our health as well. So those are the two most common that I see in in my work. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've never really heard either of those fully explained before like that, like mm-hmm. other than outside of the health textbooks that I've had to study and read. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very very interesting and also interesting how common it is like you were saying like the statistics are pretty wild. Yeah, um, really, it when there's a, a newer study that's come out with regards to prolapse. So this statistic before, or well, that is still here around that is most commonly referenced for prolapse is uh, about 50%. So just over 50% of women have some degree of prolapse. And many don't know they have it because early stage prolapse can actually be asymptomatic. So it's it's very very common and the other statistic that came out from a recent more recent study was looking at i think it was over 3000 women and they did a measure at 6 weeks postpartum and didn't matter if it was vaginal or cesarean birth there were uh, over 83% of the people in that study well the compilation of the of the research in that study that have a pelvic organ prolapse at six weeks postpartum and over 50% of that 83% have a stage two prolapse or greater. So prolapse is typically graded one to three or one to four, depending on what part of the world you're in. So in Canada, we have 
uh, stage one to four. So four would be where it's actually, it is bulging right out of the entrance to the vagina. Stage three where it would be where it's basically at the entrance. Stage two would be about two centimeters away from the entrance and stage one where it would be sort of a, just a very tiny initial bulge. So the, the number of people that have a stage two or greater prolapse is, is incredibly common. It's incredibly high. And if there was better screening postpartum, if there was better education in the prenatal period, if there was uh, an acceptance or, or sort of an em embracing of postpartum recovery strategies like mother roasting that you see in other cultures around the world, I feel like potentially that number would go down, but also long-term, the people who end up having that prolapse become a significant challenge for them going forward, I think would, would greatly reduce if we had better education and, and practices in the pregnant and postpartum population. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone is listening to this podcast and they are having these types of issues or anything similar or really just looking to start biohacking their vagina or their hoo-ha um like you wrote about like where can they start like you know as someone who like even if they've done kegels maybe here and there like how do they really get into this and start doing this daily or really what do you recommend yeah good question so the number one thing that I, I recommend every single woman do is to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist or physical therapist if you're listening from the states and these are physiotherapists who have additional training in evaluating and treating the pelvic floor muscles and they are licensed to go beyond the introitus so they use gloved fingers to uh, to feel to evaluate to treat the potentially scar tissue that we may have or muscle imbalance or trigger points the similar things that you will hear if you're seeing a massage therapist or an acupuncturist or you know other body worker so they in my opinion, are really the kind of the gold standard in terms of receiving a very thorough evaluation of your pelvic floor and an understanding of what would benefit your pelvic floor. So right now, I mentioned earlier, and you brought it up too for Kegel exercises, is generally what women are told. So it's, a, it's an exercise and it's very often prescribed and it's very rarely taught. So it's this elusive exercise that people are not 100% sure if they're doing correctly. It's not a part of the body that we can, we can't necessarily see when those muscles contract and relax in the mirror, like when we go and do a bicep curl in front of the mirror, for instance. So having somebody who is an expert in that part of the body help us understand what happens when we contract, what happens when we relax. Can we contract and relax? Can we contract and is there a bit of a lift that happens? A pelvic floor contraction or a Kegel exercise is a balance between effort and ease. So there's an effort in a contraction, sort of a drawing together and then a lift action. And then there's the ease part where we let that go. Just like any other muscle that we're training, we take it through its full range of motion. And that's what a Kegel exercise should ideally be. However, most people have kind of viewed the Kegel exercise as just a squeeze. There's not really a lot of attention paid to the lift and there's definitely not a lot of attention paid to the letting go. 
So for people who have incontinence, for instance, who leak urine out of their body and they want, they don't want urine to leak out, they're going to squeeze more. They're going to grip more. For people who feel like an organ might potentially fall out of their body, they are going to squeeze more or grip more. So if they do a Kegel exercise, how they think it should be done, which is a squeeze, they squeeze, 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 and they forget about the lift and the letting go. So that muscle never really goes through its full range of motion. And therefore, it the, the Kegel exercise actually just contributes to more tension. And a, um, an inability to release that tension and the, you know, if, if you're not taking the muscle through its full range of motion, it can lose... I don't want to say completely lose, but it's hindered in its capacity to react to forces like laughing, coughing, sneezing, jumping, whatever it is. So we really need to have that, that balanced approach and ideally an evaluation by somebody trained in the pelvic floor. So that's always the number one thing I say. Then once you understand how to do a Kegel exercise correctly and what you need to focus on. So maybe you need to focus more on the lift or maybe you need to focus more on the letting go. So once you have that understanding, it's about then continuing that correct application of the exercise in a consistent manner. We have to make sure we do it consistently and it's not a quick fix. It's not something we do and then, oh, my leaking has stopped. So now I just stopped doing this exercise. It's a lifestyle. It really needs a consistent effort. And the final thing, so sort of my 3C approach, we need it correctly, we need it consistently, and we need it coordinated with movement. The mm-hmm. other missing link to Kegel exercises has been that if they are prescribed, they're prescribed typically as do three sets of 10, 10 second holds done three times a day. That's sort of from research that shows the most improvement from a Kegel exercise. However, I don't, I, I that's that's yes, it can be effective. I'm stumbling on my words. Yes, it can be effective and it has been proven to be, but I also want to take it one step further and recognize that doing kegels in saying a seated position or lying down or brushing your teeth is better than nothing, but it doesn't translate into times when leaking might happen, such as lifting some something heavy like a laundry basket or groceries or our children or when we're running. So we need to understand how to train the pelvic floor in movement to retrain it, to remember when to respond and what it needs to do in terms of managing the loads or the forces that are created in our life throughout the day. So um, so having some form of Kegel fitness or pelvic floor fitness program where you're actually incorporating your pelvic floor into movement is my my preference. And then the final one that I'll say is uh, another exercise technique called hypopressives. So that one is a series of postures that are considered low pressure. So they don't generate a lot of intra abdominal pressure. And then they're coupled with a breathing, uh, sort of like a, a rhythmic breathing pattern followed by a breath hold or an apnea. And that apnea is done at the end of an exhalation and actually creates an involuntary response that's similar to a vacuum. And it sort of suctions and draws up the internal viscera, so those organs, and works on the involuntary aspect of our core. And that done in conjunction with the voluntary pelvic floor work of Kegel exercises really is, in my opinion, kind of, you know, pelvic floor physio is the gold standard in assessing and treating and a blend of I call it Kegel Mojo. Kegel Mojo and hypopressive is is the gold standard with regards to pelvic floor fitness. Wow, that's 
a lot, <laughs> a lot of things that I currently don't do. <laughs> um, but I'm definitely interested in it for sure. So if, if someone doesn't have either of the issues that you discussed previously, um, is it possible for them to still have a weak pelvic floor? And if so, should they be doing this like regardless, like right now? Yes. So great question. It, absolutely. Even if you don't have other things can, can present themselves in the body. So back pain, uh, there's a huge, huge, huge correlation. Mm -hmm. Over 90% of women with back pain have a, some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction. So if you are having low back pain, there is a very strong likelihood that there's maybe something that's not quite um, synergized within that core unit and the pelvic floor being the foundation of the core. Um, so it's, it's incredibly common, not just in people who've been pregnant, not just in people who have given birth, not just older people, you know, it used to be considered a kind of a seniors problem or an old age home problem, but people, young teens, high intensity athletes, trampolinists, tennis players, gymnasts, huge, uh, huge rates of, I shouldn't say huge, but you know, somewhere, sometimes upwards between 18 and 30% uh, people in those, those uh, sports have incontinence. So it's, it's very, very common, but it's something that we can be proactive about. It's something that's very easily treatable, 80%, over 80% cure rate with pelvic floor physio, which often involves pelvic floor muscle training. So Kegel type exercises. And so many people don't know that. So many people think it's something they need to live with or it's just something they need to expect is going to happen because they're a woman and they're going to get older and that's just the way that it is. But it absolutely mm -hmm. isn't. And so my, you mentioned earlier and, and my, my main, like how I got into doing all this was from a proactive perspective. I wanted to avoid what my mom went through. I wanted to have a different experience. And so being proactive and thinking about things preventively was really my main focus. And that's now what I'm also urging people, even if you've never given birth or never planned to give birth, it still is a part of the body that is influenced by our posture. It's influenced by accidents. It's influenced by stress. It's influenced by our diet. It's, it's influenced by so many things. And if we understand the inner workings of our pelvic floor and what can influence it, we can be in a better position to uh, to prevent. And then also, if things do start to, you know, maybe not work as they should, we know who to talk to and where to go and what to do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm not sure if you've seen these, but recently, like on social media, I've been seeing a lot of, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right, like yawny balls or eggs. Yeah. If you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So what is your opinion on those? Um, do they have any validity? Um, and cause like they're, they're kind of funny, like for the listeners, they're basically, I'm not sure even what they're made out of, but there's different types and you obviously put them inside of you. And I think it's to help like make you feel the muscles better. Is that correct? Or am I like totally off here? No, no, that's, that's, it's exactly what it is. So um, so yoni eggs, um, jade eggs, sometimes they're referenced uh, is another way to reference. And they're typically made of some sort of crystal. So jade or um, I, I don't know all the different types of stones and crystals that they use, but there's, they're shaped like eggs. There's different sizes, different weights and different healing properties, depending on what type of crystal it's made out of. And the main 
I guess, intention of them is to create sensation. So it, it puts something in there that allows you to respond to it. So you're going to feel something and therefore potentially be able to contract and relax against it. Some people put them in and, and the guidance is to walk around or move around or do a, a workout with them or a pelvic floor workout with them in. And I'm not 100%, I don't 100% disagree with them. I think they can be a very valuable tool for many. However, I will say, if you feel that that's something that you are interested in pursuing, and it, and it could be yoni eggs, it could be, lot, there's lots of different Kegel devices or pelvic floor fitness devices. There's lots that are attached to an app biofeedback devices. There's lots of things that are out there. But before you invest your money into a product, if you have a pelvic floor physio available to you in your community, I highly recommend you put your money there first and have your pelvic floor evaluated. And then it's you can determine and your pelvic floor physio can help you determine if yoni eggs or a pelvic floor device, biofeedback device is actually something that would benefit you. And because what happens is people have a, they think, oh, I have a weak pelvic floor. If I have incontinence, I must have a weak pelvic floor. Or if I don't enjoy sex, I can't feel sex as much anymore. I must have a weak pelvic floor. And people associate weakness with laxity and laxity isn't always the problem. Sometimes there can be too much tension and non-relaxing muscles. And so again, if you put something in that requires more gripping and holding, it can make the situation worse. Mm. So it's not something that I wholeheartedly recommend, but it can be a really valuable tool for some. And there's lots of different sort of very sensual, very sexual type practices associated with them, which can be really helpful for a lot of people. It can help improve blood flow. It can help improve circulation. Um, but if you have an opportunity, get the evaluation first before you invest in, in a device. Yeah, that's so helpful. That's that's really good to know. Um, and if you so if you work on pelvic floor, your pelvic floor, does it have an impact on your periods as well? In terms of like, um, I guess it wouldn't really impact like regulating them or that type of thing necessarily, but potentially like cramping and pain. Yes, yeah, for sure. So yes, it's not yeah. it's not going to normalize your periods from a regularity or cycle perspective. But a, a lot of people report improved you know, less, less cramping, less pain, less discomfort. And um, some people can actually get achiness into their vulva and into their vagina as well. And people notice that when they have a stronger pelvic floor, that lessens. And the other thing with regards to periods is the, your cycle can sometimes influence the symptoms that you might be experiencing as it pertains to incontinence and prolapse. So some people notice that the the week prior to and the week of their period, they have more sensations of leaking or they feel like, well, not even feel, they, they do leak more or they feel like their uh, prolapse is more prominent, the symptoms are, are more apparent. And sometimes that can be the weight of the uterus because the weight increases in size and volume and it can be the weight of that. Um, and it's the, the hormone piece though, is really what's, what's at play there as well. It could also be posturally related. So sometimes people hold themselves a little bit differently if they're, especially if they do deal with pain. Um, and, uh, and that can influence the, the sensations and the ability of the pelvic floor to work. And there have been 
there's not a, a ton of research to a hundred percent, you know, say there's a very significant correlation. There is, you know, they, it hints that maybe there is, but non-research sides of just people in terms of what I see from, from clients and participants in my programs from their reporting, it's very common that they have an increase in symptoms right before and during their, their period. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you like start bringing in these exercises and you go see a physiotherapist, um, typically like how long does it take to really start like reaping the benefits of putting in this work and effort? Not very long. So I do a 28 day challenge each month and it's, uh, it's most people, I would say most people in there are struggling with incontinence. That'd probably be the number one thing that people experience. And there's also people with prolapse that are in there. Those are the most common and usually by two weeks. So I always have a check-in at two weeks and that's when people start to say, Oh my gosh, I, I, realized that I've been sleeping through the night and not getting up to go pee or I realized that I just went on a two-hour car ride and I didn't have to stop to go to the bathroom or I did an exercise class and I didn't pee or I didn't leak and I'm ditching my pads now so it it doesn't take very long so within you know some people have noticed it within a week but I'd say it's most common around two weeks so that's consistent about 10 minutes a day 10 minutes a day over a two-week period and people were noticing significant change Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that it's that quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you want to talk about like the services you currently offer, that would be great too, because I'm sure there's listeners who are interested. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so as I mentioned, the challenge, I, so each month I have a challenge for pregnant people and non-pregnant people. So the pregnant one is called Birth Like a Boss, and it takes the principle of specificity from fitness and applies it to birth. So what labor positions are most effective and how can we exercise and move our body in ways while we're still pregnant that will help optimize our body for birth. So we can birth powerfully, we can birth confidently, and ideally with, with not without the need for interventions and also, also with less um, postpartum challenges like diastasis recti, like look, but the back pain, like incontinence and prolapse. So that runs every month. That's birth like, like a boss for, for non-pregnant people. It is the buff muff challenge and that is uh, pelvic floor fitness with movement. So essentially, as I was talking about before, I look at the three C's, do them correctly. I teach you how to do that, do them consistently. So you have a daily reminder and a series of exercises to do each day for 10 minutes. And it's all, it's movement based. So you're not sitting at every red light doing 150,000 kegels. You're doing squats and lunges and um, bridges and other, some exercises you've seen, some of them you won't have seen, but it's about applying pelvic floor activation and awareness to fitness and to movement to get you in the habit of that and to, to set you on the path of long-term pelvic floor function, basically. And then I have two online programs, which are really comprehensive their education there's exercise libraries there's workouts um there's guest expert interviews and this is both on the pregnant and non-pregnant side so pregnancy is the program is called prepare to push and for non-pregnant people it's called kegel mojo and then from there if people feel like they want some one-on-one -on -one help then i also offer coaching and hypopressives is something that i teach as well so that's included in the kegel mojo program and it's also included in my coaching and that's pretty much what I do. And I also teach courses for um, fitness and allied health professionals. So if you are a chiro or a massage therapist or personal trainer, if you are working with women, 
at any stage of, of life, it's important that you have an understanding of the inner workings of the pelvic floor as well. And that will help guide your treatment or your exercise prescription. So I have a, a certification course called the Core Confidence Specialist Certification as well. Amazing. That's, that's so great. Um, so where can people find you and how can they connect with you after this? Uh, vaginacoach.com is my website. And if you would like to email me, Kim at vaginacoach.com and my social handles are also vaginacoach. Um, I'm probably the most active on Instagram and next would be Facebook. And I also have a private Facebook group called Box Talk. And that is, um, it's close to a thousand people now. And it's, it's essentially, it's a, it's a safe place for people to share and to ask questions and understand and realize that they're not alone in their struggles and seek help from me, but also from one another because people sharing stories is, is really what, what moves us forward. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. We need those safe spaces to talk about this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like I learned so much from you and I'm sure all the listeners did as well. This has been like super, super informative. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, feel free to screenshot this episode and tag me if you'd like me to respond. I really hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. If you have a question about your health, my DMs are always open and I'm currently taking new clients. Thanks and see you next time.